And we're going to continue with 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And last week we went through verses 4 to 7. And um, the lesson was about sanctification or um, sanctification tips, if I could put it like that, that Paul gave these people and that we could also learn something from. And we went through four of these sanctification tips. And the first one that we found was in verse 3. How that the first thing that we need to know is that a life being sanctified pleases God. And it is His will for us to be sanctified. And so that is the first tip that we get from, from Paul is knowing that, that being sanctified pleases God. The second thing we found in verse 4, verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So this, we said there that you need to learn to control your body. You need to master your body. And we discussed some practical things surrounding how you master, how you control your body and its desires. Then we said the third tip for sanctification is in verse 5. Verse 5 reads, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And so the third tip there was, don't act like the world. We are called to be different, to be transformed and not to be conformed to the world. And then lastly we said in um, verse 6 to 7, verse 6 reads, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is an avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And we said there that we need to seek the best for others. We need to love the brethren. We need to desire for them to be established in the faith. And so that those four things are some practical tips in the ways that we can live a more sanctified life. And that brings us to verse 8. Let's read verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now verse 8 is actually connected to the preceding verses. Verses 3 to um, 7 where Paul speaks about about sanctification and I um, only in verse 9 does does Paul actually change a little bit his direction and so I should be ashamed according to 2 Timothy 2.15 that I should study to show myself approved unto God I'm rightly dividing the word of God I guess I divided it a verse too early there but um, if we so if we'll just go through verse 8 quickly in connection to what Paul is saying before that so what he's saying before that is he starts speaking about, obviously he's speaking about sanctification. In verse 7 we read about a call to holiness, a call to a sanctified life. Then in verse 8 Paul says, Whosoever despiseth, despiseth not man but God. So in other words, if you disregard, if you do not adhere or care about this, this call to holiness, this call to a sanctified life, it's not Paul that you're disregarding. It's not Paul that you're despising. You're despising what God has said. You're despising that because God has given us His Holy Spirit. The things that Paul was saying were inspired by the Spirit. That's why it's still written here today. It's preserved and inspired by the Spirit. And so Paul is essentially saying, if you 
disregard this exhortation to live a holy and sanctified life, you are disregarding God's words. In chapter 3, verse 13 of First Thessalonians, we read a verse that speaks very much to this, how man's words becomes God's words. In First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, we read, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, um, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. And so that is the way, or that is the way that these people should approach what Paul is saying, as it is inspired by the Spirit. And what I found interesting is this verse, verse 8, almost feels like a break in the flow of the passage. He's talking about sanctification. Then he says, if you despise this, then you're despising God and not man. And then he goes on again with sanctification, as we'll see in the next verses. And so God's words are essentially sandwiched between a holy life, and you'll see the beginning of verse 9 says brotherly love. Um, And so as I was, I like pictures, so I'll draw a picture. If you see God's words in verse 8 in the middle, so there's God's words. And over here you have the call to holiness. And over here you have brotherly Let's just say bro love. Not in a weird way. Okay. So you have God, brotherly love, and holiness. So we know that God's, um, God's words will lead to brotherly love in verse, verse 9, adhering to God's words. Okay? But we also know that um, brotherly love is the pursuit, or part of the pursuit of holiness. And God words will lead you to holiness and this whole thing happens but all of the centers around God's words your adherence to God's words your love for God's word your um, passion for being sanctified through God's word and the sanctification comes from the truth and the truth is God's word so everything centers around God your brotherly love your holiness the way you live and those things need to work in harmony so a greater regard or respect and love for God and His sayings will result in a holy life. If you despise this exhortation, verses 1 to 7, about sanctification, you despise God's Word. So, your attitude towards sanctification reflects in your attitude towards God and His Word. Your attitude towards sanctification reflects in your attitude towards God and His Word. Now, we've I want to say concluded last week's lesson and we're going to go into the next section. And the next section is once again about sanctification. But the previous section, sanctification was in light of fornication, right? It was in light of the sexual sin and how do you address this issue? Now the rest of it is speaking in light of the second coming of Christ. At the end of the chapter, Paul speaks about the second coming of Christ. So he speaks about sanctification building up to that life of that second coming. So what does a life look like that is being sanctified, waiting for the coming of the Lord? Let's read from verse 9 downward. It says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it 
toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that, and that you may have lack of nothing. And then he goes into the second coming. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep, also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of our Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And so he's building on the sanctification which is established. He takes a break in, in verse 8 and he says, listen, you need to regard God's words. You need to listen to what God has to say about sanctification. And then he goes on. Okay, now how does the sanctification look? How does it look in light of Christ's return? Let's get into verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. And the first thing I want to say a life that is preparing for Christ's coming, a life that is being sanctified in that light, cares and love, loves the household of God. Cares and loves for the household of God. In verse 9 we read, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. If you are like me, you probably think that if he's going to speak about sanctification and he's going to talk about the second coming of Christ, he's probably going to emphasize evangelism. The second coming of Christ is nigh. You need to live a sanctified life. He's going to emphasize evangelism. He's going to tell people to sell everything because the second coming is nigh. Because surely that is what a sanctified life would do. But interestingly, he doesn't start there. He starts with brotherly love. He starts with love. You can turn to 1 Corinthians. Keep your place. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a very familiar passage about love. It's the passage where we read that charity suffers long and is kind. Charity doesn't envy. It vaunts not itself. And all of that. We have all these attributes of love. But in 1 Corinthians 13, in the beginning of the chapter, it says a few things of the importance of of love. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move, remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Paul says that all our attempts to do good mean nothing if it doesn't stem from love. So even if you were, in light of the second coming, to sell all your things, and to give your life to evangelism, if it doesn't start with love, it profits you nothing. He goes further to say, back to our text, he goes further to say that we don't have any excuse not to love. We don't have any excuse 
not to love. In verse 9 it says, in the second half of the verse it says, For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You are taught of God to love one another. If you are saved and the Spirit dwells in you, you will love your brethren. You will love them. God is teaching you that. He has put that in your heart. The Spirit is dwelling in you. You have no need that someone else teaches you that. If God is dwelling in you, He will teach you to love. You can open to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. In John, um, John 14, verse 26, that verse we read earlier this morning about the Comforter. It says that this Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever Jesus taught them. And so this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This being taught how to love one another is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Comforter who dwells in you, who teaches you all the things and what you need to observe um, as Jesus taught. And Jesus spoke a great deal about love. And you are filled with the Spirit. He will remind you of this. What I, um, what I found interesting, in, um, almost as a side note in, in this verse, in verse 9, it says brotherly love, and then it says you are taught of God how to love. Now the, when he says brotherly love, he uses the word Philadelphia. Okay? But when he says you are taught of God how to love, it uses the word agape, which is this pure, this holy love, this complete love that comes from God. And so your ability, your love for the brethren stems from that complete love, that pure love that God teaches you how to love with. Now, you're in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So it's speaking about the second coming. It's speaking about the end. Okay, So there's, there's our context. Then it goes in verse 8. It says, But above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Once again, in the light of the second coming, charity, love, is emphasized. Love is emphasized. Then we read, Okay, now how does... What is a practical way to love? How do we love? You, verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Hospitality. Verse 11. And if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as, uh, do it as of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be the praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, do everything you do in a way that glorifies God. So how do you love being hospitable, treating others the way you want to be treated? Now, in Romans chapter 15, we find another way. We find another way in which we can love each other. Romans chapter 15, verse 25 and 26, I'll read it to you. Paul says that I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints in need. For it pleased them of Macedonia to make contribution to the poor saints. Now, Thessalonica is in Macedonia, and so he's speaking about these people who gave to the need of the poor saints in Jerusalem. There's another way in which you can show love and care for the brethren. Be hospitable. 
treat them in the way that God treated you. That's sorry, I, I think we skipped that verse. Verse 10 in First Peter 4, verse 10. If it, and as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister grace to one another. Then in verse 11, do everything, whether you speak, whether you teach, whatever you do, do it as um, to the glory of God. And then in Romans 15, it speaks about giving financially. So do you show love to your brothers and sisters through giving financially? Do you know where the need is? Do you know where to give money if people are in need? Because there certainly are many poor saints, many brethren and sisters who need that help as well, that show of love. Then, in Hebrews chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, a verse or verses I think you should, we are very familiar with, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Okay, so we provoke unto love. Then it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching, once again, Paul, well, author of Hebrews, says, provoke unto love. Provoke unto love as you see the day approaching. So clearly, there is a Great connection between the way we love each other and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 it says, And so much the more. And so much the more. Have a look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse um, 10. It says, And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. More and more. As you see the day approaching. In First, in first um, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. It's speaking about, in the previous chapter, verse 12, it speaks today about love one to another. And speaks about your holiness. Then in verse 1 of chapter 4 it says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so that you would abound more and more. Abound more and more. Paul emphasizes this because the temptation is to do less and less as the day approaches. To become so heavenly minded that you are almost of no earthly good. To become so heavenly minded that you're almost of no earthly good. Don't ignore the physical need of the world because Jesus is coming. Take a greater look at the people around you and love them more. Let's do like Paul said in Galatians 6.10. He said, And as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them that are of the household of faith. Do good to your brothers and sisters. Love them. Care for them. And this is the first thing that Paul emphasizes. He says, regarding your sanctification, in light of the coming, love each other, care for each other, know each other's needs, care for the household of God. Now as he continues in this context of sanctification and leading up to the second coming, 
He gives them a second bit of advice. Have a look at verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. The first advice is care and love the brethren. Care for and love the brethren. Now verse 11 says, And that you study to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands as we commanded you. So the first thing he says is lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life. But he says, study to be quiet. Study to be quiet. It, it almost is a contradiction. He's almost saying, strive earnestly and zealously to live peaceably. Or strive earnestly and be zealous. Try really hard to be silent, to be quiet. It's a paradoxical statement. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it a major effort to relax. He's... Now, the question is, does th- what he's referring to, does that refer to a lazy life? A purposeless life? Not at all. The rest of the verse says that we are to study to be quiet and to do our own business and to work with our own hands as we are commanded of him. So it's not to be a lazy and purposeless life. It's to do. But he does mention live a quiet life. Now, what is Paul talking about? Have a look at Second Thessalonians Second Thessalonians chapter 2. What is Paul talking about when he says, lead a quiet life? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, once again, the second coming, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. So he's saying, don't be troubled, in, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter. He's saying, don't panic. Don't be troubled in spirit. Don't be deceived. In verse 3 it says, let no man deceive you by any means, for, what, for what that day shall not come except there be a great falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So there were obviously some people here who were thinking either the day has already come and we missed it or whatever. And so Paul's saying, don't worry, that day will not come lest there be a great falling away first. And so what he's saying is don't panic. Don't be anxious because that is the opposite of a quiet life. Who in the world will look at this kind of behavior, this panic, this trouble, this deceived mentality of the day is past, there's no hope, who will look at that and say, I want to be a part of that? Who in the world will look at that? No one does that. And so Paul is saying, don't live like that. Rather, look at first, um, um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5, it says, rather, okay, and that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. The patient waiting for Christ. Live calm, quiet, peaceful, patient lives, waiting for the Lord's second coming. That is a testimony to the world. That draws people to Christ, and that makes you an ambassador for Christ by not being anxious and panicked and troubled by the things that are happening around you. And so Paul is saying, live a quiet life. Strive earnestly. Study to live quiet lives, to f- be at peace. Then he continues in verse 11 with a third bit of advice. 
1 Thessalonians 4.11. So the first thing is study to be quiet. So lead a quiet life. Then he says, and do your own business. Do your own business. That is to say, mind your own business. Have a look at 2 Thessalonians. Mind your own business. I'm sure all of us have heard this statement before, being, you know, say, mind your own business, you know, stay out of my business. But Paul is not using this in the sense of, I don't care about what you are going through, or I don't want anything to do with what you're going through. But he's rather saying, don't be a nosy, know-it-all busybody. Don't be a nosy, know-it-all busybody. In First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians chapter 3 um, and verse 11, it's Paul says, For I hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Busybodies. A busybody is someone who has a body and is busy, right? Has, is is a very busy with their body. They're busy speaking. They're busy gossiping. They're busy spreading rumors. They're busy defaming this or that person. They're very busy, and they're very faithfully busy. But what they're busy with adds no value to the body of Christ. That is a busy body. The specific problem that Paul is addressing in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is um, people who are going around saying things about the end times. Like I want to say end times alarmism, you know. Like the end is nigh, you know, these big billboards and the date and then that's the end of all time and they are busy something like that was going on in Paul's time people were probably going around saying stuff like sell all your stuff stop working buy Bibles go and reach the world this is the last few months of life forget about worldly things Jesus is coming Paul says don't be like that Paul says no one listens to a crazy person no one listens to that busy body don't be a part of this busy body, panicked life. Don't go around speaking and gossiping and spreading rumors and speaking ill about that brother. Mind your own business. So what do you do when you see this busy body? Perhaps you see something of that in yourself. How do you handle this? Well, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we read verse... Um, 11, where it says these people are disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Then in verse 12, it says, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. You tell someone like that to mind their own business and to do something productive. Be a partaker in a ministry. Do something that is valuable, something that doesn't divide. Do something productive. Do what's necessary for your own livelihood. Don't be running off trying to solve everybody's problems in a world, in the world, and straighten out everybody's issues. Care and help those that are in need, but don't run around sticking your nose in everybody's affairs, making as if. You are somehow spiritual. Don't go around being that busybody. Mind your own business. So practical sanctification in the light of the second coming involves caring and loving one another. 
especially those of the household of faith. It also means to lead a quiet life. It also means to mind your own business. And then lastly, also in verse 11, we already looked at it in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. It says at the end of the verse, it says, And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. I'm going to take you back to Second Thessalonians, sorry. Luckily, it's probably only one page. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Now we've read verse 11 and 12. Verse 10 says, chapter 3 verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some among you which walk disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now to them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So the fourth thing is to work. Do your own business. Work with your hands and do it well. Now when I, when I, when I thought about this, I, I almost wanted to tell Paul, um, Paul, this is not very, um, this is not very spiritual. This is not very um, in line with with sanctification. You may think that um, working diligently, how can working diligently be a part of my sanctification? A part of what pleases God. But it certainly is. Have a look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, a few pages to the left. Colossians chapter 3 and um, verse 22. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22. Servants, Obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Your earthly job can and should be done in such a way that pleases God. You need to work with your own hands and you need to work in a way that pleases Him. Not only is it a thing that pleases Him, it is something through which you can serve God. You can serve God in the way, the manner you conduct yourself in your work. Imagine if um, everybody had this mindset towards their studies, towards their work, towards whatever they are busy with, this mindset of, Everything that I do, I do to the honor of God. I do to please Him. I do it as a form of service to Him for what He has given me, for how He has blessed me, and that is why I do my job in such a way. Christians should have this mindset. Now the question is, do you? Do you actively decide and pray and ask God to help you have this mindset when you do your work every day because it makes all the difference it makes all the difference now we read in second thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 we read there about uh, the verse that says that if a man does not work he shall not eat now on that i need to clarify 
Remember the context. It's talking about a busybody, right? It's talking about this person going around and um, not caring about the body of Christ, but actually just going around pushing their own little ideas or whatever the case is. So this applies, this, this idea that he who doesn't work shall not eat applies to those people who are busybodies and are living a lifestyle that is a burden to the body of Christ. It is not speaking about a brother and sister who is struggling to find a job and needs to lean on the church to help them. That is not what it's speaking about. The first point was love and care for those of the household of faith, right? So it's not an exclusion of that, not at all. But it's those who are going about, who are causing disorder in the church. And that's those people that if they do not want to work because they're so concerned about this idea or that thing or that they must do this and they're living a disorderly life and they're a busybody, that person who doesn't want to work shall not eat. So, before we close with a final thought from verse 12, we can summarize these four points as follows. So, in the light of the second coming, lead a quiet, unobtrusive, peaceful life and work with your hands that you may be able to give yourself in sacrificial love to one another in the matter of meeting worldly needs. Lead a quiet, unobtrusive, peaceable life and work with your hands that you may be able to give yourself in sacrificial love to one another in the matter of uh, meeting worldly needs. That is your approach. That is how you daily, when you go to work, when you do the mundane things of life, that is how you do it. You work hard. You work it to the glory of God because you want to be able to give of yourself to those who are in need. And so Paul, I want to say that is Paul's emphasis when he speaks, he continues sanctification and he looks to the second coming of Jesus Christ. These are the things he emphasizes. Extremely unspiritual. (laughs) Extremely practical. But You may think, how can evangelizing not be a part of sanctification or in the light of the second coming? How can I keep quiet, live a peaceable life and um, keep everything to myself? Um, And luckily, that is not what Paul is saying. That is not the message at all. If you look at verse 12 of um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Paul is saying, or what we learn from this message is that anticipation of the Lord's return is no excuse for irresponsible living. We should be the most responsible of all. But in verse 12, He's talking about affecting and reaching those that are without. He says, let, may, let us walk honestly towards them that are without. So he's talking about affecting those that are without. He's talking about evangelism. But he says the focus, and this is important, the focus mustn't be the tract. It mustn't be the method. It mustn't be the boldness. That is not the focus, okay? What he is saying is the focus must be our testimony. 
The focus must be the testimony behind the Christian's life, that loving of the brethren, that love towards one another, the way you work, the way you conduct yourself in everyday life. That is the basis, that is the focus of your evangelism. And so Paul is first bringing it back to that core. You'll remember Francois' message where he spoke about the, basically the heart behind your evangelism. You've made a very good point there, speaking about the heart behind your evangelism. So the key to evangelism is the integrity of the lives of Christians who manifest behavior that is filled with love, quietness, and diligent work to a troubled, agitated, and messed up world. It's that contrast between what you are living in Christ compared to what the world has. So when you see anger and hatred, you show love and generosity. When everyone is troubled, you are calm and you rest in God. When everyone is trying to take the easy way out, you work hard and honestly. When everyone is gossiping, you mind your own business. That makes people ask, what is different? And opens the door to an effective daily evangelistic effort wherever you go. So in summary, love those around you with a pure love that comes from God and is taught to you by His Spirit. Live a life that is peaceable and that rests in God. Work hard. Go beyond the call of duty that you may supply in the need and, um, of those around you and strengthen your testimony. And if you do this, evangelizing will be a natural, everyday event as you live your life among those who are without. And I think that is what Paul emphasizes when he says, in sanctification, this command of sanctification, living this life, is not a man-made one. It is one that God desires. And if you look to the second coming, how do you direct your life practically every day that doesn't get panicked, that's not worried, that's not overly concerned with this day? How do I live my life to effectively minister to those around me, to effectively reach the world, and to love and please God in doing so in every day? Amen. Father, thank you for this time. Um, it's a privilege to, um, to learn these these practical things from your word to be able to apply it in our lives and Lord we ask that I almost want to say with a message that is overly practical Father may we not let it just slip by us um, Father help us to to conduct ourselves in a way that you expect of us um, that we would live our lives practically every day at university at work at school wherever we find ourselves that we would work and be diligent and do a good job and not be panicked to lead a quiet life. And um, Father, that you will be glorified in all of that, that we will, that we will have peace in the storms of life and um, find our rest in you, Lord, and that we would work hard and because, not because of what someone expects of us, but because we want to please you and we want to serve you with our abilities and with the privileges you've given us. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to, to love one another more. Help us to see needs and full needs as we can. And
not a few individuals, Lord, but as a body, looking after the rest of the body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.